Welcome back, friends, to today's episode of the Reynolds Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to help encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and online at rayreynoldswrap.com. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, rappers. Good to be with you today. Uh, It is good to have an opportunity to share with you a message from the Word of God and some encouragement today as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. We are in the middle of a pandemic with uh, a lot of things going on here in our local community, uh, even with this hurricane that's now coming ashore uh, as uh, this podcast is released today. Uh, recorded on Monday in uh, in an effort to try to get ahead of the game. I uh, figure that uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, I'll be working on some other things from home. Not sure if I'll have internet or not. So wanted to make sure we got the podcast done today. Well, today we're going to talk about salvation. And, you know, I have, as a minister, had an opportunity to teach and to lead many lost souls to Christ. And there is no greater feeling than being able to study with someone and let them let them know that there's hope beyond the grave and that there is hope in this life of salvation. And so I want to talk with you about this idea of of having this great assurance, this great um, uh, you know encouragement that you know where you're going to spend eternity. Now, some of you may think, well, I'm already saved. I've already done the things that are necessary for salvation. Well, I, I think that's wonderful. But I guarantee you there's still some things you need to hear from the Word of God about being secure and stable in that, not just in your salvation, but in a stable and temperate and self-controlled mindset to stay there and to not fall. Uh, in Jesus' teaching to his disciples, there's so many great things that are that are mentioned to them to encourage them. One great one is in John 15, 11, you know, where he says, I've spoken to you that your joy may remain in my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And several weeks ago we did a lesson on joy and talked about how that cup of joy ought to be overflowing in our lives. So if we're going to understand salvation and we're going to really be, you know, we're going to rest assured in the hope of our own salvation, I think there are some things that we need to really dig in on and make sure that we 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 can grasp. The first thing is, and this is helpful if you're talking to somebody who's lost or if you yourself are going through a dark period in your own life, is to first of all know that you are saved. You know, John told his readers, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And there are a lot of people in the world, maybe you yourself included, that struggle with whether or not you know you're going to receive eternal life. You know whether or not you're saved. Well, I can tell you the book of Acts tells us story after story about how people uh, were saved. And in fact, I have a Bible class book on baptism itself and how, you know, it's this believer's wedding ceremony. It's this new birth. It's this celebration of new life. It's a death, burial, and resurrection. And if you subscribe on the website, you'll get that automatically uh, for free, that, that book. And it's only available for subscribers right now. But I've written on this, I know I've preached on this, and you've probably heard and seen a lot of great material out there about salvation and understanding the purpose of repentance, the purpose of baptism, and the purpose of living a new life in Christ. But you have got to know that you're saved. So I need you to start 
by asking yourself the question, do you know, do, can you right now, when you go to bed at night, are you sure that you have salvation? Do you know that you have salvation? Can you have that hope and that assurance? Because I can tell you, it scared the daylights out of me. The first time I heard a sermon on hell, it scared me to death. Uh, I was, I was uh, 11, 12 years old, and um, I was frightened. The message was on heaven that morning. It was a great sermon, but then the preacher preached on hell that night, and I was trying to get to the aisle. You know, I could not get to the front fast enough. My mom made me go home. We sat in the car for like an hour. My mom made me go home and call my grandfather, and finally he told him, take him back to the building. Let him get baptized. That's what he wants to do. Um, but we've got to have that that assurance that we know we're going to heaven. Uh, if you're going to live an authentic life in Christ, you've got to live a you've got to take the steps to live a life in Christ to begin. You have to begin that new birth, that that new beginning to be born again, to be born from above. Uh, and knowing that we're saved is what we see in the life of Paul. You know, if we read through the book of Acts. Over and over again, Paul's recounting his conversion story. Why does he do that? He can't help but talk about the good news. You cannot be a terrific evangelist. You cannot be a person who, lack of a better term, tries to sell something if you don't yourself use it and believe it. And people say, well, why is it that evangelism has fallen off in the church? Why is it that we, weren't, we aren't reaching more people? Why is it more people aren't coming to Christ? Because we, first of all, our tactics have changed. You know, we, we've, we've stopped from being the church of evangelism. Now we're the church of playing house. You know, we want to keep things nice and have a nice building and have a preacher that looks the part and a youth group that looks the part. And we're all about, you know, the, the entertainment factor and things like that, which there's a, a time and a place for some of those things. I'm not trying to push that off, but I'm saying we've, we've taken and put our focus on these minor things and neglected the major thing. We have got to get people on board with this, this idea of hope and assurance and joy, seeing where they are in Christ and moving forward, not trying to, to you know, make themselves uh, look, look bad, try, trying to humiliate other people because of their sin. It's about being assured and having my feet rested on the hope of eternal salvation myself. And it's really hard to go out and sell anything if you don't believe it. And there are people who say, wow, our church just isn't growing. Well, that's because you got a bunch of people who don't even know if they're saved. I had an elder's wife one time tell me, she's like, I just sure hope I go to heaven. You know, I'm like, well, with that attitude, I don't know if you'll make it or not. You know, you've got to, you know, and that really scared her. But I said, you got to, you've got to know. You've got to know. I mean, if you confess Jesus as Lord. Uh, Paul did that. If you live a life of, of repentance and prayer and faithfulness and dedica- dedicated steadfastness, you, you truly believe that Jesus is going to guide you and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you've been immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and become a faithful child of God, there is no reason why you should doubt your salvation. Now, people may be critical and, and not like the fact that I'm going to say this next part, but I do wholeheartedly believe that you can know you're saved. Read Romans 8 and verse 1. There is no condemnation, none, zip, zipola, sero, nada, nothing, vapor. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Then there's no condemnation. Why? Paul says in Romans 8, because you're a child of God. And with a child of God under the spirit of adoption, there is nothing, no, 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 there's no death. There is nothing in life. There's no principalities or powers. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And we're more than conquerors. And we read chapter 8 of Romans and we just kind of gloss over it. That's one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible. Paul says there's no condemnation because the spirit of God lives in you. 
And so you cannot ignore the fact that God's spirit guides you, leads you, compels you to go out and do things in a positive nature and to show the world that you believe, you believe that you're going to go to heaven. You believe that Jesus has died for your sins. You believe that you've been cleansed and made whole. We've we got to get past this, you know, this, this wishy-washy Christianity. Do you know you're saved or not? Because if you don't, we need to work on that. We need to work on the steps that are necessary. And we need to work on what you need to do to be more solidified in your faith. But you, the, the reason why a lot of people in the world... Who, who claim to be Christians, and we will, we'll, we'll harass them almost on social media. They say, well, you know, they, they say that they're Christians, and they say they're this, but they don't do this, and they don't do that. Well, yeah, but they're radiating assurance that those who are supposedly faithful do not have. There is supposed to be a spirit and a truth about our worship, and I think it's the same thing for our daily living. We can do the right thing, but we also have to have the right heart, the right motive, the right spirit behind it. And a lot of times the things we're motivated by is, is, is book, chapter, and verse, which is important. It's important for us to stick to the word of God. But we don't, just, we don't just do it because God commands us to do it. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you'll, you'll follow me. If you love me, you'll do my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do this. Our, our steps are wrong and that we're all about doing this and this and this and this and this and following a blueprint that we've forgotten to have a relationship with God. We've forgotten to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've forgotten to make it personal. And in fact, we have people who preach from the pulpit and teach from the pages of their books that we don't have a personal relationship with Christ. He just died for everybody, and there's nothing personal about it. That's about as false as anything that I've ever read. We do have, and we should have, and we must have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our mediator, and with the Holy Spirit, who is our intercessor, so that we might have access to the Father, to have our prayers answered, and to gain this great assurance. And we can't ignore the fact that God's Spirit is living in us and dwelling in us and working through us. How else does prayer work? And so Paul is, is dealing with that in chapter 8. You know, he says, look, if you say you don't have the Spirit of God, you might as well say you're not a Christian. We, we've, if those of you who've experienced the deliverance of God, you've experienced the forgiveness of God, don't you dare let somebody pour water on your flame. You keep telling people about how gracious God has been to you. We're so afraid these days, so afraid to talk about our faith, especially among other Christians, because they're like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be so charismatic. You probably shouldn't get so carried away. Yeah, well, where, how's that gotten us? How's the church now? When we lack compassion and zeal and, we, and we're all about infighting and hypocrisy, we're, we're going to get exactly what we've got. Where's the growth? You know, you've got to know that you're saved, but you've also got to grow in that knowledge. You've got to realize that where you are, where Christ met you, is not where he wants you to stay. You grow in that knowledge. You grow in that assurance of salvation. Paul tells them in Ephesians chapter 4, 15, and 16, they need to grow up in Christ. That means that when you begin to understand and comprehend the salvation that you have been given out of no merit of your own, but solely based on the sacrifice of Jesus and the gracious gift of our Heavenly Father, once you grasp that, you're not going to have an issue with unity in the brotherhood. You're not going to have an issue with loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to struggle with evangelism because it's going to pour from your mouth, from your hands, and from your feet because it's all that dominates your mind. I am saved by the grace of God, and I can't help but tell people about it. And as you continue to grow, it offers a challenge to you as a believer. 
to keep moving forward, keep working, keep serving, keep doing the things that are necessary to bring others to Christ. See, the real battle in this world is not between humans, it's between the spiritual world. And when we begin to read what Romans 8 is trying to teach us, Paul's trying to show us that there's these principalities and powers that are at war. We're just kind of the collateral damage. We're caught in the middle of all this mess. But that battle that goes on in the spiritual realm affects us because we're spiritual people. The world doesn't, they're not affected by it. They don't care. They go along with whatever the wicked is, the evil, the unrighteousness is. They just kind of go, they just go with it. But we, as children of God, who are led by the Holy Spirit, are impacted because we're hit by the arrows of the enemy, and we're also trying to be protected. The, the, the Holy Spirit and the angels and our Father and, and, and Jesus are trying to protect us. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is trying to guide us. The Word of God is trying to give us enough wisdom to overcome those, those things. And that battle, that spiritual battle, now moves from the battlefield literally into your mind. Because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and you're still flesh. You're still wanting certain things. You're thinking certain things. And so that battle goes on inside of your body, inside of your mind, and we're going to have to make a choice. So literally, you are the battlefield. It starts at your front door. It starts in your mind, in your heart. That's the reason why the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with every part of you. You've got to make the choice. You cannot set on the fence. And so once you make the decision to follow Christ, once you decide to become a dedicated, faithful child of God, covered by his blood and led by his spirit, the the enemy is going to come after you. And he is going to try to convince you that you're not saved. He's going to try to convince you that there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. And so you go back to your mind and start thinking about all those terrible things you did before and how much fun you had and doing the sins that you know you should give up. And the church itself as a congregation, as a, as a people of, of believers, we're all going through the same dilemma because we as groups tend to gravitate towards things of a physical nature. You know, we, we how many, t- could you honestly say, that you have went somewhere to church and you haven't judged the people based on the building where they worship? Could you, I mean, just be honest. Don't you judge people based on the way they look, based on the way their building looks, based on what their bulletin looks like, what their website looks like? We're physical people. We're visual people. We're auditory people. We've listened to the sermon and we say, well, that guy, he didn't really get me going. We, we've completely dismissed the fact that that may, a con- may be a congregation of loving people that's just simply trying to do the right thing. And just because the, a preacher has an off day, or maybe he's a little dry, it doesn't mean that he's not impacting people in a spiritual way. We are very dismissive, and we are very hypocritical, because we want to look at everybody else and say, well, they're not doing this right, and they're not doing this right, but we never look inward at the things we're doing wrong. And if somebody points it out, God forbid, we get upset with a little accountability, And that's where the battle is going on. It's going on in our homes. It's going on in our churches. And it lays at our doorstep because we are not dealing with the battle ourselves and our mind adequately. We have to know where we're going to spend eternity and let that affect our behavior. I have a good relationship with Jesus. I pray. I study my Bible. I'm around spiritual people. I worship God. I am not going to give in to all the pressures around me. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to do the right thing. And when you get that mentality, 
man, I'm telling you what, Jesus said that even the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. And we've got to have that mindset. Nothing can cause me to lose my salvation. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to stay, you know, uh, dedicated and faithful until the very end. In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter tells him to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And it's easy to talk about what Christ has done for, for you and for others when you that's all you think about is how wonderful God is and how amazing it is that you've received salvation. We talk about defending our faith, and that goes along with some other things Peter has said. You, know, you have to defend your faith, you have to defend why you are a child of God, and that's not difficult. When you know yourself in your heart why you chose to follow God, and that you could not have salvation without him and without the blood of his son. And so you don't forget that. You keep learning in it, you keep growing in it. Keep asking the question, what did I do? What did I do? What, what, what did I do that made God say, I want to send my son to die for that one? And the answer is nothing. He just simply loves you. He loves you for you. He loves you because you're authentic. He loves you because you're genuine. He loves you because he created you to be just like you. Don't be a carbon copy cut out of somebody else. Don't try to emulate somebody else's faith. Don't try to be somebody who is spiritual. You be the spiritual person. You emulate Christ. Paul says, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but he puts the focus on Jesus and not on himself. If you can't follow Jesus, at least follow me. I'm going to lead you to Jesus is what he's saying. And so you need to get to the source. I can bring you a cup of cold water, but wouldn't it be better for me to take you to the well where you can get it yourself? That's what Paul's trying to identify. Growing in the knowledge, growing in the wisdom, growing in knowing that I am saved is going to bless not only me, but it's going to bless everybody around me. Paul speaks as one who had grown in his faith. He knew what was necessary. And when you know and when you grow, you're going to glow. Okay, you're going to be the illumination of Jesus in the world. You're going to be the light. Why is the church not shining light? Because our lights are out and because they're dim. Well, I don't, I don't see a lot of churches experiencing revival these days. I'm praying that after this pandemic's over with, there's going to be a revival like we've never seen. But we're too busy dwelling on what's going on in the media and what's going on in Portland and Chicago and, and, and New York and other places like that, that we're not concerned with what's happening at our own doorstep. I've got to be the light of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he identifies, you know, in 13, 14, 15, 16, he's trying to say you need to be light. You need to be salt. You need to be a city on a hill. You need to have an image of me in your life. You need to be like me. You need to be light. Jesus is the light of the world. Remember John 8? So we, we begin to see John 9. The disciples needed to know who is the light. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness because he has the light of life in him. You will never walk in darkness. If you are struggling with hope, if you are struggling with assurance, if you're struggling with a knowledge and a wisdom and a growth of salvation, it's because you're still trying to walk in the darkness. Get out of the darkness. Get into the light. Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you because you're already in the light. God gives you light. He gives you life. He gives you freedom. He gives you forgiveness. He gives you grace. He gives you mercy. He gives you salvation and hope. And that ought to be what you describe when you talk to people about your own salvation in Christ Jesus. It's why Jesus struggled so much with the religious leaders of his day. 
That they remember the story in John nine. I, I referenced it just a second ago, talking about the light of the world. But remember the remember the guy who was born blind. You know, and the, and the religious leaders are like, we got to place blame on somebody. It's got to be his fault. Well, he was born that way. Well, it's got to be his parents' fault then. I mean, see, they 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 were so consumed by whose fault it was. It had to be somebody's fault. They didn't realize that just bad stuff sometimes happens to good people. Jesus wanted them to open their eyes. That's why he healed the blind man. See, the, the real danger in the world is not people who suffer from physical blindness, but people who suffer from spiritual blindness. Their story, their perspective is what really was irking Jesus. Why did he heal the sick? To get the attention of those who were already well. To get the attention of those that were spiritually sick. To get the attention of others who are going to struggle and need some kind of a pathway towards salvation, towards what is right, to know that there is someone who loves them. And that's the heart of the story of John's gospel, is it's time to open our eyes and see that God's light brings healing and compassion and comfort and genuine agape love. It's the reason why Jesus wept when Lazarus passed away. You see, he, he wept the disciples knew he was sick, but Jesus wept because he knew that by raising Lazarus from the dead, instead of people being excited about it, those religious leaders who were spiritually blind would hate him for it. And it is their lack of faith that blinded them. It's their lack of hope and assurance that blinded them. They wanted to make their own rules for salvation because they could not accept the, the, the wisdom that there is a gracious God that loves them. And we're doing the same thing among ourselves as Christians today. We want to make all the rules. We want to write up all these books and creeds and, and mission statements and, and, and things that, that say, well, we, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And we've got to, we want to make all of these, these, you know, uh, these new truths, we'll call it, in order to try to lead somebody towards Jesus when clearly the Bible can do that without our help. There are people who become a Christian every day just from reading the Bible. We're lucky that we have blessed are the feet who carry the good news. It didn't talk about blessed is the mouth who speaks the good news. You know, it's the feet. Because if you'll just take somebody a Bible, they'll learn from it. Hopefully when you open your mouth, you won't try to discredit or put a disclaimer to something. I had somebody tell me one time, I said, well, you know, what, what about Peter? I asked him about Peter in Acts 2. What did he, what did he mean when he talked about repent and be baptized everyone in your nation for permission of your sins? He said, well, what Peter meant to say was, and I said, well, I'm hesitant to say Peter didn't know what he was talking about, or Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. Forget what you see. Remember what you know. If you walk by faith and not by sight, you can be physically blind and still have spiritual sight. You know that God is watching you. You know that God knows what's best. You know that God's listening and he cares about you. And you know he's going to keep his promises. And you know he's going to give you the strength to endure whatever you're facing until the end. You know that he's promised never to leave you. You know that he's promised never to forsake you. So if you're going to shine like light in the world, you think on those things and stop dwelling about all the negative stuff in the past. Either you're saved or you're not. And if you're saved, not only do you know it and believe it, you receive it and you begin to share it. That's that glowing. And you cast aside all your fears. Now, Paul says, uh, Romans 8 and verse 15, for you didn't, didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. You don't fear, man. You don't have a reason to fear man. You don't have a reason to fear the devil. You don't have a reason to fear condemnation because God is on your side and he is glorifying you. If God is for you, who can be against you? 
2 Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power, love, and self-control because he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's never going to lead you astray. And if you pay attention and you dig into the word of God and ask for guidance and you pray and ask for God for deliverance and help, it will be given. Jesus says, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. We're too fearful and frustrated because we're too easily distracted. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer goes through this hall of fame of faith and he talks about all these things that had been done and, and, and all these great men and women of God that made it into this great hall. We call it a hall, but basically named among the faithful. And then it starts chapter 12 by saying, now we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. I mean, they're watching us. So now it's time for you to lay aside your weight and the sin that, that ensnares you and run your race with endurance. Looking unto Jesus. Looking to Jesus, he's the author and finisher of our faith, right? And it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So cast off all your weight. Cast off those sins that are entangling you. Throw down, throw down anything that's going to get in your way and put your focus on Jesus. And then you've got to run. You've got to run. You've got to run in the right direction. You can't just simply go, well, you know, I just kind of hope that I... no. What God needs is for us to be fishers of men. Peter and the other apostles, not long after Jesus had raised, began to question what their role would be now that Jesus had risen. And he's appearing here and he's appearing there. And what do you do with that? Well, they went back to fishing. They had forgotten their original calling. Many of us who became a Christian had a zeal and had a fire because we knew that we were saved and we experienced salvation. And I remember coming home that night and calling family. It was midnight, you know. I remember going to school the next day and taking the books the preacher gave me and my new Bible and saying, hey, look, you know, I was baptized last night. Super cool. But somehow along the way through the years as I became a, a teenager, older teenager, a young adult, Sometimes that zeal fades, and we begin to question why we did it. You ever, you ever done that? I've had so many conversations with teenagers and young adults that say, I was baptized at church camp, you know, when I was 10. I came forward at a youth rally when I was 13. But I don't really know what I did. I don't even remember what I did. It's because you're questioning the hope and the assurance of your own salvation. There's a couple ways to solve that. One is we got to stop baptizing babies. You know, we got you have a six-year-old that comes forward and says, "I believe Jesus is the Son of God." That's awesome. You know, that's awesome. You know, my I, I'm I'm proud of that. But there are other things that are necessary for salvation. One is to repent of sin. What have you done that's so bad? Sent Jesus to the cross. Okay, we got to stop baptizing babies. We got to start teaching and and helping people to understand what it means to truly become a child of God. You wouldn't require, recruit a six-year-old to get into the army, would you? Well, we're a soldier's army, right? We're, we're, we're just, we're part of the, uh, the Lord's army. And, and we need to think about that before we start leading six, seven, and eight-year-olds to the water and say, now get up and fight in the army, okay? Not to say their prayers aren't powerful, not to say they can't do a lot of good, but I've known very few kids that age that were mature enough to handle being subjected to the wiles of the devil and put on the whole armor of God. The other thing is, when we do have those doubts and fears, we need to calm them by recognizing who's really in charge of our fate, and that is our Lord. 
Stop listening to the people that are the critics and the haters and listen to the voice inside your mind. Listen to the scriptures. Listen to what the Bible says. You know, know that as the Holy Spirit, as, as you begin to read scripture, you're going to find this to be the, the true if you keep studying. You're going to be in awkward situations and in moments of your life where a passage of scripture or a story of scripture is going to pop into your mind. You're going to go, how did that happen? That's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. People say today, well, you know, God spoke to me and he told me to do such and such. Well, God, if God speaks to you, he's not going to tell you to do anything prior to or uh, in, not in accordance with his word. His The word is the final authority, right? We're going to be judged by Jesus' words. So we follow the scriptures. But you're going to have moments in your life where you don't have your Bible with you, but the Holy Spirit's going to nudge you. You're going to remember scripture. You're going to remember stories. You're going to be compelled to do the right thing. And you're going to say, why did I do that? Because it's in you. What is in you is greater than in the world. And that's what motivates us to go talk to other people of salvation. If you know you're saved, you, we don't have to tell you to practice the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, you don't have to be taught that. Matthew 28 says you got to be ready to go. You got to be ready to go. You got to go. You got to preach. You got to teach. You're not alone. You're never going to be alone. You're never alone. All you got to do is just share the message. God is going to stand right beside you. You shouldn't be afraid because he's here to stay with you. And you go on his authority. You go on his blessing. And, and if that's not enough to go teach all the nations, we listen to Mark 16. He says, hey, look, preach it to every little living creature. I mean, if you, if you want some practice, practice on your cats, your dogs, practice on your animals, practice on the trees, on the rocks, on the walls. I don't care. Preach until somebody hears you. Somebody's going to hear that gospel message. And people are going to believe you. People are going to be baptized. People are going to become disciples. They're going to, they're going to go and they're going to just scatter the seed. They're going to listen to it. They're going to hear it. And as they hear it, some may accept it, some might not. But you just keep on sowing that seed. Be proud of your salvation. Be grateful for the hope and the assurance that's in you. And share it with somebody else. Because one day your light's going to go out. And there's not going to be somebody with your story. God has touched your life in profound ways. Other people need to know about that. I want to leave with this. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that's in you. The hope that's in you. we got to be willing to talk to people about the hope that is in us. Be assured of your salvation. Look, if you don't know if you're saved or not and you're struggling, send me an email. I'll, get you, I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll email you back, call you, whatever's necessary to talk to you about your salvation. But if you have taken the steps of salvation and you know that you're saved, do something about it. Take that message and share it with someone else. It's not meant to be kept to yourself. That's like making a beautiful big old pie and letting it rot on the kitchen table. You know, that's wrong. That's wrong, okay? You make a feast, it's time to share it. God has given you a precious gift. Go and share it with others while you still have time. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow the Reynolds Wrap podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and also check out our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you have any questions or if you'd like for us to address a specific topic in the future, you can write to us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Be blessed and may the Lord guide you as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. Thank you.